Well, we've heard an Old and New Testament teaching tonight from God's Word, both of which point us in the direction of this wonderful doctrine of the ascension of Jesus Christ. And we will hopefully be able to tie these threads together in a coherent way as we focus now on Hebrews chapter 4, just a few verses there, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May the Lord write his word upon our hearts. Amen. Most of us know the experience of setting some kind of an ambitious goal and then not being able to accomplish it. I think most people do this every year when they set some kind of New Year's resolution. And they think this is the year. But it could be any time of year. It could be during particular seasons of life. You're going to grab life by the horns. You're going to take control. You're behind the wheel. You've got some ambitious goal. And then in the end, you end up not being able to accomplish it. Or not being able to accomplish it in the way that you'd hoped. I'm going to make some kind of money this year. Some kind of an amazing amount of money I've never made before. I'm going to put on an addition to the house this year. I'm going to read through the Bible. This year, cover to cover, I'm going to read through the whole thing. It's like climbing a mountain when we make these kinds of goals. And the feeling of failure when it uh, comes to it, that we haven't actually done it, can be very discouraging. Most Christians experience this kind of disappointment in their life with God, in their walk with Christ. He feels far off. He feels like an ambitious goal that we can't accomplish. That communion with Him, that satisfaction in Him, that prayer to Him can't actually be achieved the way that the Bible seems to hold us to or the way that we wish we could. He's far off. In fact, the Bible speaks of God in just such a way that He dwells at the top of a mountain. Phrases like, He lives at his holy hill, Psalm 3. Or he is dwelling on his holy mountain, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9. He is so far away. How do we draw near to him? Especially when we face awful spiritual attacks of doubt and temptation, which is common to all people. To all those who are called by the name of Christ, we all face doubts, about God's existence, about His love, about the truth of His Word. We face temptation about His particular ethics and moral code that is given to us in His law. We are tempted to transgress that law in particular in heinous ways, tempted to make shipwreck of our faith. How do we draw near to Him when He is at the top of His holy mountain? The answer, brothers and sisters, is found in the ascension of Jesus Christ. That is the answer to the question. Because Jesus has gone up to God, he has brought us to God. 
And since he's done this specifically as our prophet, priest, and king, he he enables us with more than our fair share of ability to draw near to this God throughout our lives and especially in our time of need. First, we must recognize in this great doctrine of the ascension that Christ is the prophet who has ascended for us. He's the prophet who has ascended to God. Now, because of our teaching through the catechism, we know a little bit about each of these offices of prophet, priest, and king. We've touched on them a little bit, but it's helpful to give a word or two to remind ourselves. What does a prophet do in the scriptures? What does a prophet do? He reveals the word of God to the people of God. That is his calling and his function. And if he is truly a prophet of God, then he has a word for the people. How does he do this? How does she do this? There are both male and female prophets in the Bible. How do they do this? By ascending the mountain of God in the cloud. They have to go somewhere. The prophet must go to a particular location. As we'll see, the prophets and the priests and the kings all went up the mountain, but that particular location of the prophet is into the cloud. The most important example of this is Moses himself, the man of God, the prophet that sets a pattern and an example for all the other prophets until we come to Jesus himself. In Exodus 19, Exodus 24, and elsewhere, Moses is called, he's summoned, into the presence of God at the height of Mount Sinai, the holy mountain. He goes up where God descends in what form? In a cloud. In a cloud of deep darkness filled with fire and thunderstorms and trumpets. It is a cloud that is so glorious and wonderful and fearful to the people of God that it makes the mountain shake when it comes because it signals, it signifies the presence of the triune God atop the mountain. And that's where the prophet goes into the cloud to receive the word from God in order that he might reveal the word to the people. For Moses, this revelation was the tablets of the law. God gave him, while he was there on the holy mountain, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. He wrote them with his own finger, by his Holy Spirit, up there in the clouds. So we know that the triune God is there, because God had called him up, and the Spirit was there, inscribing the words on the tablets. So Moses received physically, he went up a real mountain, and he received some physical thing to bring down to the people. For many other prophets, this ascent to the cloud was not up a physical mountain, but through a vision to the heavenly mountain, into the council chambers of God and his holy angels. We see this in the prophet Micaiah, not Micah. Micah's got his own book. Micaiah is just written about. He didn't get his own book published. The prophet Micaiah in 1 Kings 22, he is summoned into the council room of God. And God there, through this vision, gives him a word. And uh, Micaiah, unfortunately, delivers that word to a wicked king and gets punched for it. But there he is. Symbolically, figuratively, he is summoned into the cloud. That is the council room of God. When you go home, read Psalm 82. 
that is, the cloud is not mentioned in Psalm 82, but that's the location of Psalm 82. It's in the cloud. It's in the heavenly council. Once the prophet is given the word, he is to bring it to the people. He reveals. How does Christ show himself to be a prophet? Because we've seen the prophets in the Old Testament do it. Now, why do we have license to say that Christ is a prophet? Jesus says in John 17, in his high priestly prayer to the Father, he says, I have manifested your name. He says, I have given them the words you gave me. And he says, I've given them your word. In fact, he says, he says, after he goes to the Father, he asks the Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. It is through Christ that the great revelation of God's word and all the sacred oracles of God are now fulfilled. Clear enough? Jesus says that he's doing something that prophets do. He manifests the name and the person and the work of God and the, and the persons of God as our prophet. But when did Christ go up the holy mountain? In his ascension. He has gone up the holy mountain of God in his being lifted up from earth as the Lord of life, the risen Savior. Not just risen up from the belly of the earth, although that's pretty great, but now our victorious king is in the heavens. And wouldn't you know that in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, it says that he was taken up in a cloud and that he will descend as they saw him go. In fact, Revelation, the, the cloud is not just his vehicle into the heavens. It's the location where he goes once he arrives. In Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 and 15, we read that this Christ, who is mysteriously uh, man expressing his presence to John, the uh, Apostle John, as an angel of the Lord, as he does sometimes in prophetic literature. And this Christ is seated on the cloud in heaven. He is your ascended prophet in heaven. That is who he is to you. Because through his spirit... He from heaven reveals the word of God to you. He testifies to you from heaven, though it is far away, beyond the galaxies, in another realm. He testifies to your spirit that this is the word of God. And through his Holy Spirit, he tells you what it means. He manifests the name and the presence of God for you. He takes the word of God and uses it now to make you holy. He makes you a new creation. And he shows you what the way of salvation looks like. And if, brothers and sisters, you and I are united to this Christ, then we are with him there by faith. Paul says in Colossians that we died with Christ and he's been raised and so our lives are hidden with him at the right hand of God. We are very near to him. When temptation comes, we must remember Christ, who is seated on the clouds of heaven, presiding over the universe, and who shows us the way to God. Christ also ascended as our priest. He is not only the ascended prophet, but the ascended priest. What does the priest do in the Holy Scriptures? The priest 
intercedes for the people. And this includes primarily two things. It includes atoning for our sins and praying for us. Atoning for the sins of the people and praying on their behalf. And we see the priests doing this also by ascending the mountain of God, but specifically to the mercy seat. That's the particular location of the priest. They must come now to a particular location where God manifests his presence, and that location is the mercy seat. In the Old Covenant, the temple of God, once it moved from tabernacle to temple more permanently, that temple was perched on Jerusalem, which is called many times in the scriptures the mountain of God. It is Mount Zion in the north, as Psalm 48 calls it. Mount Zion, all the pilgrims would come and ascend the holy mountain to go to Passover and and the feasts. And when this priest went into the holy places of the temple, it was as though he were ascending the mountain symbolically. If he lived kind of down the mountain, he had to go there literally. But he has gone there at least figuratively when he enters into the most holy place. The Ark of the Covenant was there in the most holy place. You see, we have these, the temple is constructed in such a way that we have concentric squares, basically. And in the very center, in the middle, is the most holy place. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the cover of that Ark, in which the tablets of the Lord and Aaron's staff uh, were kept, the cover of that Ark was called the Mercy Seat on which the golden cherubim were carved. And God came and sat on this mercy seat, so to speak. Wonderfully, when God shows up in the temple, he shows up in the form of a cloud. That's how we know symbolically this is an ascent to the holy mountain. And Leviticus says that it was here that the priest made atonement for the people and prayed on their behalf. That is the intercession of the priests. It was a mercy seat because there God was enthroned to pour out his mercy for his people. That's where it happened for the people of God year after year on the Day of Atonement. That their sins were covered. The priest went in to atone and to pray on their behalf. Now, how does Christ show himself to be a priest? Well, Hebrews makes it very easy for us because it says it over and over again that he is our great high priest who has done the very things that a priest must do. He has offered himself as the atoning sacrifice in the laying down of his life and he prays for us. We read in Psalm 24 earlier and it asks, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place? That's where it is. That's the holy place at the top of the hill of the Lord. And the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Because the psalmist says, only he who has clean hands and a pure heart can go up the holy mountain and into the holy place. And that is Christ alone. No one else comes with clean hands. And no one else comes with a pure heart. We are defiled in the presence of the Lord and we cannot draw near to him apart from Christ. And so he has done what Psalm 24 depicts. He's ascended the mountain of the Lord. When has he done this, brothers and sisters? 
in His ascension. In His ascension, in being lifted up from earth and going into the heavens, He has ascended not into a man-made temple or a man-made holy place, but a place that the, the Scriptures throughout call a temple made without hands. Into the true holy place in heaven. And this is why Hebrews 9 verse 14 depicts His blood being poured out on a heavenly altar. It says, through the eternal spirit, he offered his blood. Where? According to Hebrews, he did that in heaven when he ascended, when he passed through the heavens and appeared at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And Romans says that he is always there interceding for the saints. Now, brothers and sisters, because you and I are united to this Christ, and our lives are hidden with him there, we must draw near to this priest. We draw near to God through him. He has, as we read in Hebrews 4, he has passed through the heavens. Sympathetic high priest he is for you. In your strongest temptations, he is gentle in how he deals with you and strong in his ability to lift you up out of it a faithful, gentle, sympathetic, and ascended high priest. Lastly this evening, he is also our ascended king. What does the king do in the scriptures? He does a lot of things, but primarily he defends his people from their enemies. That's kind of the the point of the righteous king. The righteous kings were meant to know God's law to live a righteous life, and then clothed with the Holy Spirit, go out to battle and fight the enemies of God and God's kingdom. He's God's representative, meant to be victorious in battle. And we see this all over the Old Testament. We've seen the prophet ascend to the cloud, and the priest ascend to the mercy seat, But when the kings ascend the mountain, they do so to sit on the throne. The cloud, the mercy seat, and the throne. And when the king ascends to the throne, it means he is victorious. The battle is won. In the early chapters of 1 Kings, Solomon becomes the king of Israel. And he recounts in these early chapters how his father had been a great warrior, that he had gone out to battle. Battle after battle, war after war, so that, Solomon says, there's now rest on every side from their enemies, as God promised there would be through David. And then, after recounting these great acts of his father, the warrior David, Solomon sits down on his throne in a land of peace, where there's rest on every side. That's 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. How does Christ show himself in the New Testament to be a king? For one, he's called the king of the Jews. And for another, the people constantly are trying to make him king by force. But far more than that, he has shown himself to be king by triumphing over sin and the devil and the world. He is the great defender of his people. Listen to him now, again, in his prayer to the Father in John chapter 17. He tells the Father, I have kept them in your name. I have guarded them. This is verse 12 of John 17. 
He's kept his people. He not only, not only revealed the word to them, and at this point in John's gospel, is not only about to lay down his life for them as their priest, but he guards and defends them and has kept them in eternal life. And as he says elsewhere, nothing can snatch them out of his hands. We see him in the gospels casting out demons, delivering people from illness. Battle after battle, he shows himself victorious over sin and the world and the devil. And that's why he tells his disciples the night before his crucifixion, take heart, I've overcome the world. And so, brothers and sisters, at his cross and in his resurrection, we see the decisive victory over our deepest spiritual enemies and the source of all of our temptations and doubts and woes. He is the victor. He is the conqueror. He has won the fight as our great king. And when did Christ ascend that mountain to sit on the throne? Psalm 24 depicts the conquering king returning to God's holy mountain. He's victorious. And here's what the psalmist says. He is the king of glory, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. In his ascension, brothers and sisters, Christ didn't go into a man-made palace to sit on an earthly throne. And we're not waiting for him to come and sit down on an earthly throne in Jerusalem. We know that he is enthroned in the heavens and that all power and authority is in his hands. He has ascended to the heavenly mountain and he has gone into the throne room of God and sat down enthroned at the Father's right hand. The king of glory, the king over all the earth and the king of his church. And if you and I are united to this Christ by faith and our lives are hidden with him there, then we must recognize that he has disarmed the rulers and the authorities. That does not mean that the devil and his demons cannot tempt us. Of course they can. Of course they can. The devil is a a roaring lion. But Christ has bound Satan and his demons in that they cannot deceive the nations as they once did. Their unholy reign and rule over this world is coming to an end. And when they tempt you with their spiritual weapons, you've been given better ones. So that surely not even their worst attacks can keep you from drawing near to Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, when you are feeling defeated and when your brother or sister in Christ tells you, expresses to you that they are defeated, they're spiritually depressed, they are melancholy in their walk with God, remind them that they are more than conquerors. Through him who has loved us. Loved ones in Christ, our God is far from those who reject his word. That's true. He is far from those who reject the offer of his son in the gospel. But for all those who trust his word, all those who love his holy name, your God is very near to you through his son, your ascended Lord. So draw near to him. Tempted though you may be throughout your life, don't walk away from church, but come gladly week by week to hear Christ, your ascended prophet, speak from the clouds of heaven. He speaks with clarity and with power. He kills us by his law and he makes us alive by his gospel. Every Lord's Day he does this. And come with an expectation that he will make his word plain to you in the ways that you need it and in his own timing.
And when your love for him grows cold, or when the things of this world are drawing your attention more than your love for him, draw near to that mercy seat, which has become to you now a throne of grace. The scripture commands you, fly to the throne of grace, where you will find a Christ, a Savior, a priest who prays for you. And when your own sin and the demonic realm leave you defeated and ashamed, remember your king, strong in battle, mighty to save. And in remembering all these things, draw near to God on his holy mountain by faith in his son and in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is where your ascended Lord is, at his holy mountain. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would inscribe this word on our hearts and that it might bear fruit in keeping with righteousness. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.